Do I have sound? I have sound. I have you know? sound too. Oh, you you're like fancy microphone and everything. Well, n not exactly fancy. Just you know, from fancier than me. It's um, it's from an old life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just finishing up my bag of chips here because actually I'm only recording sound, which is why I have this terrible background. <laughs> oh, so you're not recording video? Yeah, yeah. That is awesome. Then I'll stop stressing about it. Yeah, and um, yeah, just finishing the bag of chips that I thought I would eat last night. And yeah, uh, no worries. Know, problem about getting old is that past a certain hour, it's not about chips, it's not about beer anymore. It's just the bed calling you. <laughs> All right, peoples, what's up? Me? Well, I just realized that being the host of this talk show, I don't mention my name very often. Well, my name is Claude Vien, or Claude Vines, as the Americans like to call me. I'm the light product specialist for a North American distributor based in Montreal, Canada, called AVL Media Group. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because I'll be exhibiting at Expo Scene Trade Show in Montreal mid-April, that's 2022, and also Infocom in Vegas this June. If you happen to be in the area at those times, come say hi. And if you have a story to tell, well, we can certainly book a recording session and have you on the show. Just look for the AVL Media Group booth and you'll find me there. And if you're enjoying the Backstage Cowboys podcast, you can listen to it on your favorite platform, whether that be iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, Acast, etc., you name it. And soon it'll even be available on Spotify and Amazon. And please be sure to share it with all your friends and colleagues. The more, the merrier. Or was that the more, the drunker? Anyway, uh, this episode will be a bit longer than usual, and you'll understand why when we get into the conversation. My next guest is none other than Pierre Marlot, owner of Orange Frog Productions in Calgary. Yeah, that's in Alberta, Canada. I say this because, uh, not that I want to brag, but I've got listeners all over the world now. Pierre is originally from Montreal and has worked all over Canada and the U.S. before landing in Calgary and starting his own company. We'll get right into it, right after this. The Backstage Cowboys podcast is brought to you by AVL Media Group and Avolites, who make the best lighting consoles in the world. If you live in Canada, you now have access to the Avolites Academy online learning platform. The cost is $229, and that includes an editor Avo key delivered directly to your door. Head on over to BackstageCowboys.com and click on the Avolites Academy logo to get all the details. Now, if you don't live in Canada, well, that means you're in another country. So if you're in the United States, head on over to Avolites.us. Anywhere else in the world, just go directly to Avolites.com and you'll find all the resources available in your country. And now, let's get on with the show. Here is another episode of the Backstage Cowboys podcast. Where's my drummer? Thank you for accepting my invitation. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. We've been talking about it for a long time, and I'm glad that we're finally getting the time to do this. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And we we haven't like we we met a few years ago. Well, just before everything shut down, right? 2019. Yeah, we were at the backstage access in Calgary, and and we got to meet in person. And um, I think we've crossed paths many times over the years, but like I think this was the most official sort of connection we've ever had. So well, yeah. And and what actually brought me to you is your name, because oh really yeah yeah Pierre Marlowe in Calgary I gotta I gotta find out I mean <laughs> <laughs> fair enough it's fair it's enough. it's such a it's such a local name here in Montreal that this you know um, and that's probably gonna be my my first question uh, Pierre where are you from well. It's really funny these days. I tell people I'm from Alberta, um, but I I was born and raised in Quebec. But I left there really, really early on. Like I I was gone from Montreal in my early 20s, and um, and yeah, and I've kind of lived all over the place. So yeah, I've spent more time in Alberta than I have in Quebec. So I kind of feel like I'm a true Albertan now. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> a nice place, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like it out here. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting how people and media and politics and all that. But, you know, at the end of the day, we got gorgeous mountains. People are nice. We, uh, hmm. you know, we just we have a pretty good life out here. So, you know, we're into horses and all that stuff. So it's a it's great little piece of country to be in. Oh, definitely. I miss it. I can't wait to go back. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun for sure. And you know what? I don't think I could survive a Montreal uh, winter anymore. Like I think I just, I do not miss the 10 feet of snow and minus 30s all the time. Like for us, for instance, in the past week, you know, during the day, it's been plus eight, plus five, and we're in February, right? Wow. Wow. And yeah, yeah, and, and I know what you're saying, because after this interview, what am I doing? Shoveling snow. Yeah, I'm sure, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and, and the fun part is that it rained all day yesterday, and overnight <laughs> it froze, and then we got like 15 centimeters of snow, so I'll be shoveling yeah. snow on, an, on a skating rink. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I remember those days. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't think, I don't think I'm built for that anymore. Like, I, there was a time I loved it, and it worked great, but I cannot do that anymore. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. So, Piata, you're the, the owner of Orange Frog Productions in Calgary. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so, uh, which is a, um, obviously a production uh, uh, production company, so you you have audio-visual, um, video, and you offer um, turnkey services, I believe, right? Well, we're, we're sort of a couple brands put together. So, um, so you got it kind of half right. Um, we're basically, we're around rental outfits. So we, um, Orange Frog has a huge inventory of rental in this market. Um, and we do rental and sales and through the sales channel, that's how you and I connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have Orange Frog Design, which um, is a company that focuses a little bit more on production and lighting design. So uh, we do not own any video equipment. We're not a video or an audio company. Um, We're purely a visual company. So for me, that was something that was very important. We're ultra specialized. Um, And, you know, I know a lot of companies my size tend to do it all. Their lighting and video and and, uh, audio and all that stuff mixed together. But for us, 
at the end of the day, what we really care about is the design aspect. That's what um, that that's what get us up in the morning. And uh, so even on the rental side of things, um, most of the things we purchase and most of the things I bring in for people to rent here are all very unique product that are more design driven than lining my pocket driven. So mm. I don't always make the best choice from a business perspective where I'm not buying the meat and potato stuff that could make me lots of money every day of the week. I'm the guy that goes by the odd and unusual stuff that makes the shows look very unique and very special. So, Oh, that's, uh, that's cool because uh, a lot of companies are about uh, volume and about uh, profitability. You're more about the artistic side of the thing. A hundred percent. And even, even on the rental side, that's, that's very, you know, when people call us, like we are supporting local LDs, like as much as we do our own shows. Um, I find now we're in a place where the shows that we do, it's with clients we've been with with 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but there's lots of young local LDs and experienced local LDs that are looking for, you know, unique equipment and stuff. And I get phone calls all the time saying like, hey, like what, what do you have that's kind of cool? I could put on my show for eye candy or for, so, you know, so we've got lots of LED bars and we've got stuff like um, lots of incandescent fixtures and things that are, things that are a little bit more architectural and looks and, you know, things that look good on tripods and like that kind of stuff. So we, yeah, we love the set building side of things. Like we're not building set, but we like when lighting can become a scenic component of the image. So mm, great. Pierre, I have to ask orange frog productions. Um, I mean, orange stands out, right? That, that I get frog. I mean, for me, for me, coming from where I come from and knowing that you come from pretty much where I come from, yeah, I'd expect like, I don't know, a French guy from Montreal that stayed out in the sun too long. Or <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I, I basically, so I've had a very interesting sort of path that got me here. So, um, you know, I'm just lucky to be in the right place at the right time. So I went, you know, I went to um, school to Cégep, like, you know, and um, I was going to be a doctor. I went oh. and studied, like I wanted to be either a microbiologist or be like a, a doctor or, but maybe more a scientist than like working on people. But, um, and then, uh, you know, it, when I was in high school, I did a lot of theater stuff, like, you know, like everybody else helped the AV department. There was mm -hmm. a guy there that, you know, needed help for grad and needed help for films and stuff. So I would stay after school and help him out. And, um, so geeked out with him. And when I went to Cégep in Valleyfield, um, I saw that there was a company there called Valspec that um, that was a touring house. Like they brought in all the touring shows, all the comedian, the Celine Dion, the, mm -hmm. you know, Luc La Rochelière, like all that stuff from the 90s when I was there, like late 80s, early 90s. And uh, and this will answer your question. It's just a little bit of a journey. But um, but basically, um, I got accepted into med school and I got accepted into national theater school after working in that theater for two years while I was doing a Sciences Po um, program mm -hmm. and uh, talked with my parents and they didn't care whatever I did as long as I was happy. And um, yeah, decided to go to national theater school. And then when I graduated from there at that time in the country, there was a huge push, like the Mervishes in Toronto and uh, Livent were two big companies doing Broadway musical across the country and across the world as well. Like, so 
Um, luckily for me, like the one of my teachers at school uh, recommended me for a position with Livent, um, and I became an assistant technical director and started working on those shows. Um, and did that for about six, seven years, where I made it from assistant technical director all the way to a production manager within the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're asking me, where is Orange Frog coming from? I was in Chicago and I was a production manager slash technical director of Showboat, the second touring company. And we were putting that into that theater. And it's really funny when you grow within a company, like over time, um, you know, like you may get a better title, you may grow within the company, but people just remember you as the kid that started, you know, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found yeah. is that, you know, I had some good ideas. I wanted to do some stuff, but I was really having a hard time getting the respect from my peers because my boss just kept seeing me as this kid. So I wasn't getting any sort of a, like financial, you know, mm-hmm. like I was still stuck at a very low rate and it was kind of this weird thing. So I got really tired of all of that. And, and I got tired of having to always fight the system to try to, to try to, you know, do a better job. Like I'm good at my job and I wanted to shine. So, and I just couldn't break through that ceiling. So um, I decided to start my own company and people on the tour, cause I was French Canadian, call me Froggy. Of course. So, you <laughs> know, I got that better. part right. <laughs> yeah. So, which is better than being called like, you know, Pepsi and Yum Yum or yeah. Pepsi or Mae West, you know, like, which was another one at the time. But yeah, I was called Froggy. Um, and for me, like, why fight that? Like, I thought it was endearing and it didn't bother me. So um, so I was like, you know what, whatever company I'm going to open is going to have Frog in it because <laughs> I am a little French Canadian and in an English world. Um, and then uh, people were like, so you're going to be the green frog. And I was like, no, like, why would I be green? I've been in the business for over 10 years. I'm like, I'm not green, I'm orange. And that's how orange sort of happened. Oh, that's it. So orange is the experience part. It was, yeah, for sure. And then luck, like, funnily enough, years after I realized that orange is a very creative color. Like when you look, when you do color analysis, like orange is a, you know, it's a color of creativity. So I was like, wow, how perfect like that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. But um, so yeah, so anyway, that's a little bit the journey on how we got to the name. Sorry for the long story. No, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And, and I've seen your logo I, I, and I do see those little frogs on the wall behind you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in the profile picture on your episode, we're going to have to have that somewhere in there. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. That would really be we Embrace nice. the frog. It's really funny. I keep talking about my guys and... You know, I call them because a, a group of frog is called an army. Like that's, you know, just like a flock of seagull or uh-huh. like so a bunch of frog is called an army. So we, um, yeah, like I've got my army of frog and we go do shows and we really like what we do. So hmm. any French speaking uh, speaking people in there or are they all? Um... No, like right now it's pretty much all just English. Um, but, you know, like it's like I'm here so I can I can speak French when I need to. And, um, but yeah, right now the whole team is pretty much Anglophone. So, um, not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of theater people in Alberta. So, um, that are willing to do stuff outside of theater. So, Mm -hmm. um, so it's even that much more difficult to find theater people that speak French. Um, but there certainly is a huge lack of personnel in Alberta. So it's difficult to, um, to find people particularly these days. Well, these days it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've lost so many great people like during this pandemic, like so many great people just went 
what do you mean? Like, I, I'm going to go do something else. Cause we're all hardworking people, right? Like that's the thing. Like uh, most people that were really hardworking and were ambitious and all that, like they just got tired of sitting around and they went and, you know, either became electrician or became, you know, something in totally different, like took management courses and now we're working construction site and doing all these different jobs. So, yeah, because what drives us in this industry is, is the, um, uh, the passion. Yeah. And if you, if that, if you shut down the industry and the passion is not there anymore and it, it's just down to earn, earning a living, then whatever, you yeah. know, at this point, I can turn around and do anything I want. I had a dream last night that I was actually mopping the floor in a shop <laughs> and and very happy to do so because I was well paid for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, well that, that's the thing, right? It's in our industry, like depending where you are and, and how it all works, like, you know, you'll, you'll put in 20 years of not being paid very well. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. like I, I got to where I got, but, um, but at the end of the day, like I have put in hundreds of hours that were either volunteers or, paid at very low rate and, you know, do multiple jobs in a day to, you know, like you have to be a hustler and you have to have ambition and you've got to have a, a direction of where you want to be. If you want to be successful in this business, I think for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, it, it's about going the extra mile and, and showing what you can do. Yeah, so. for sure. But I, yeah, I, I understand the part about being um, categorized as a beginner or as a bad tech, as, as sometimes it'll happen. I mean, I've seen techs that were not that good for one reason or another. Either they weren't, you know, they weren't concentrated on what they were doing or they were just inexperienced uh, or they weren't there yet in their attitude. And uh, you kind of stay with that picture and then you lose sight of these people for a few years and then you meet them again in another context. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, this sure. guy's in charge of, uh, uh, wow. I mean... You know, in my for head, sure. it's, it's still that goofy tech that, that nobody wanted. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And luckily for me, that wasn't the case. It was more that, you know, like you start at a company at 21 and, you know, and you, you're working for them. And next thing you know, you're 27, 28 and you go, I've been with you for a long time. And all the people that are working for me at that point are making three times my salary. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. It's not sustainable anymore. But you know, people have a hard time sort of, they'll put you in the role and you do the job and you deliver. And if you fail, there'd be consequences. But um, but it's it, it was just really hard to get out of that stigma. And I mean, I work with amazing people. I was so lucky to be there, to be there at that time, that young, and to get to, get to be exposed to that level of knowledge and experience and expertise. Like I'm still in touch with a lot of my mentors from that day. And those people ended up at, you know, Shaw Festival or at, mm -hmm. you know, like all over the, like all around the world. And some people are still at, um, uh, um, yeah, like just on Broadway and all over the place, which is really cool. So well, you have friends everywhere. Well, like, like all of us, right? Like yeah. you don't get to be my age without having some baggage along the way, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you meet a lot of people, you travel, you, you know, you're in different theaters all the time. So um, sometime when I talk to people about what I've done in my life, people go like, what are you, 127? <laughs> um, but the reality is we live such a fast paced, you know, life where one day you're meeting the queen and the next day you're working with a band and the next day you're doing a different thing. So, yes, you've worked for hundreds of different bands. And yes, you've, 
you know, worked on a bunch of different musicals and all that kind of stuff. But it's because we're all working two, three gigs at the same time and things are overlapping. And um, it, it's pretty crazy what our lives look like when you're really involved in it. If you if you take this job, like working at McDonald's, it's a very different thing. Mm. But if you're passionate about it and you just can't, you never have enough and it becomes your dream and your passion, then yeah, like it's amazing the amount of work you get to do in a year. Yeah. And it's called work because it's the, you know, typical name for something that you do for money. Uh, but it's, it's way more than work. I mean, for me, it hasn't been work in the past right. 25 years or so. I mean, I, I remember when I started, I was wiggling some lights for a kid's party and I was thinking maybe I should like be earning a living or something. Oh yeah. I'm paid for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to believe. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. We're pretty lucky. For me, what I find amazing is, like, if I think of all the place I've been that, you know, most people are, don't have access to, like, you get to walk on roof of building, like, you know, like, I've been on top of the Parliament building in Ottawa, walking the roofs out there and setting up, you know, laser bounce mirrors for shows. And, you know, like, you just think of all these different places where, you know, I was in Tel Aviv and control towers of runways that were connected to our theater and just like all this kind of stuff where you go it's amazing the things you get to see and experience that most people walk by every day and don't you know like we all see doors that says like interdit de rentrée like you can't go in yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then you just you know a lot of people don't even wonder what's behind there but we get to go behind those doors all the time and take the secret elevator and <laughs> meet secret services and meet like you know government official and do all those different things that most people you know um, don't get to be exposed to so so that to me is what really turns me on, gets me excited. I go like, oh my God, like, you know, what did you do today? Like, you know, the first time I called my mom and said, hey, I met the queen today. And when I was alone with her, she actually talked to me. Like, that was pretty freaking amazing. <laughs> um, you know, like just a young kid and you get to stage manage the queen in Ottawa for Canada Day and, you know, got to spend some time with her. And I was like, wow, that's that was something special. And then 20 years later, get to meet her again. You know, like it's it's just one of those things where you just yeah yeah you kind of feel neat. like superman at one point because i remember well you know all, all the tours you go into this venue through the back door and then you you walk in the you know through the ceilings and you go through all yeah. the, the walls and all the secret places like you were saying and and then just before show doors open and in come the mortals yeah. <laughs> Those who have limited access. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's it, right? Limited access. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. It's, so, uh, like, so it's hard, right? Like I know for me, like when I, you know, when my wife says, hey, let's go see a concert. I'm like, well, do I know somebody on the tour? Because I, I don't want to come through the normal doors and no, exactly. go sit in my seat in the balcony because I didn't know anybody to get me a better mm -hmm. seat. I want to sit at front of house. Like I want to. You know, um, and that's that's part of the challenge, right? Like, it's really hard to go back to being immortal. Yeah, I, I especially <laughs> like the feeling of starting the show. And, yeah, and you're you know you're sitting in the middle a lot. Sometimes the, the refugees in the middle of the uh, of the yeah. room until you got people all around you, and, and so you got people that are looking at you, and obviously nothing else is happening in the room. 
and now you're about to press a button and then the lights go down and then you talk to somebody on the clearcom and then you hit another button and then boom everything starts and man i'm god almighty i'm doing this show i'm the one that make that's making it happen and 99 percent of the people in the room don't know i, I exist no of course and i'm good sure. with that <laughs> Me too. It's one of the first thing I learned, like when I was working in that CEGEP, like um, as, a, as a tech, um, I had a mentor there. Um, his name is Michel Raymond, and I haven't talked to him in years, but he's the reason why I went to National Theatre School. And he's the reason I'm in the business today. Like he sort of took me under his wing and, and taught me everything I needed to learn, like at that time. Um, and I remember one of the first show I got to do was, you know, like CEGEP, I've, they have these um, singing competition, you know, like where yeah. like all these different schools get together and young. Yeah, 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 that's exactly it. Yeah. So I got to do a Cégep en spectacle and um, and I was at the console um, in the middle of the auditorium and it's a thousand seat auditorium full of my peers, you know, all kids and um, and these bands are going and I couldn't see because people are standing up and the desk was, you know, like down and yeah. I don't know at the time, like the desk I had was like a lightboard M or something like that, like mm. some old strand, well, new strand at the time. But um, anyway, I found myself putting the chair on top of my table and the desk on my knees so I can see above people's head. And then I was a rock star, right? Like I was just having the time of my life doing the show and all that. And then once the show was over, my boss kind of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and he was, hey, like, you got to calm down. Like, you're lucky to be a part of this, but this is not about you. Like, this is not about you being a rock star. Um, and it really stayed with me. And then he was like, you know, when we do a show and stuff, because I found myself a few times, you know, like you finish the show and you're in the booth in the back and then you open the door so people can kind of see you and you stand there mm -hmm. proud. And, mm -hmm. and he was like, no, no, close the door, turn the lights off. Nobody needs to see you. Like, if you do a good job, you're like SWAT. You come in, you do your thing. You walk out the door and nobody ever knew you were there. Yeah. Um, and that to me is what that was one of the most. Um, yeah, this was one of the most important lesson. Um, and I think with all my guys and with Orange Frog here, um, we're the same way. Right. I, I constantly remind my guys that we're we're SWAT team like we are invisible. We go in, we do what we need to do. If there's a problem, the client will never know. We'll fix it. Um, you know, like if the client knows we failed, like it's important that we just deliver whatever needs to happen and, and life is all good. So, yeah, being invisible is part of, uh, of doing our job right. Yeah. And I think it's so empowering. I know for a lot of people, if you have a huge ego, it's hard to take, mm -hmm. but you know, like there's such an empowerment in knowing that you did all this and nobody has a clue. Like, yeah. I think it's pretty amazing. And we don't live in a world like that anymore, right? Like now, now it's all about YouTubers. Like, so now if you're a console programmer, like it's funny, all the young people I meet these days, you know, like they've got their three, like, you know, programmers they watch on YouTube and mm -hmm. it's, it's all about that. And you're like, okay, but this guy does EDM on a large scale. How does that relate to what you're doing today and how... And it's important to learn from people and all that. But I find people have lost a little bit that aspect of being invisible and being behind closed doors and and being humble about your job too, right? Like, because there's a big part of it is, you know, when you start being bigger than your britches, like you just, I don't know that you're as good as you can be when you take a minute to be humble and just focus on the work and not on the glory. Because mm -hmm. the glory is very... 
I don't know, it comes and goes. It was never a thing for me. I never cared about it. So Yeah, well the glory kind of belongs to the whoever's on stage. Absolutely. And, and the way I see it is that if people don't know I exist, but they think that the artist is doing magic. Yeah. That means I'm in perfect sync with what the artist is trying to deliver. And I'm just amplifying that, you know, adding that's exactly it. effects, colors, lights, whatever. And, and that's, that's, that's when the magic happens. And we're kind of the secret services behind that. That's exactly it, right? Like we're the gear that make the machine work. Cause I mean, mm. you can watch a concert without lights, without good audio, without good video support, any of that. The experience is so different. I mean, you can see it with fireworks, right? Yeah. Like, the day they started doing fireworks to music, suddenly it went from being a cool show to an experience. Yeah. And I think that's when you take different discipline and you merge them together to create an experience. That's where you start to have a machine that emotionally, I just talk about it and my little hairs are going straight up on my body. <laughs> but, you know, to me, like that's where things, that's where magic happened. Like when suddenly it's not about ego and you've got like a video designer and a lighting designer and an audio designer and, a, and an artist, and we all get to talk together and, you know, like, and we come up with a concept, we come up with something that is powerful. And when that moment happened, the light changed, the audio cue happened, mm. like the audience just, yeah, like it's just the audience lose their mind. Mm. And I find like, I do mainly corporate shows these days, like that's where the bulk of our, you know, stuff is. So mm -hmm. um, we do corporate shows and we do experiences like, and the experiences will be like, a, you know, like a, a project for a zoo or a project for somebody who's trying to do an interactive sort of experience. But um, when it comes down to corporate shows, I find that we've kind of lost our soul a little bit, not Orange Frog, not my company, but I think as an industry, most people in corporate, it's all about how many road case, how many screens, how many speaker, how many lights can I put on the show? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it all becomes this battle. So you end up with a bunch of suppliers sitting around a table and everybody is trying to see like who can get the biggest chunk of the pie. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very unfortunate because the client loses the client. Like we're not doing what's best for the client anymore. We're all doing what's best to line our pocket. And that, I think, is something that's very unfortunate that is happening. And most of your listeners are probably going to go, ah, this guy, I'm not listening to him anymore. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's the reality is I find it really sad when, you know, the money becomes more important than the experience. I think if you deliver the experience, the money will come. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see that because you're a living example that uh, creativity and passion um, will allow you to earn a decent living. Absolutely, hands down. And you don't have to uh, to be a numbers guy all the time and uh, and, and uh, you know pull the blanket on your side. Um, besides, I think if everybody joins in and everybody brings their expertise to the table and do what's best for the client, I think there's there's a part in it for everybody. For sure. But it's really challenging when companies get to be so big and they're controlled by mutual funds or banks or all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Suddenly we're not we're not in the entertainment industry anymore. Now we're in the banking industry. Now we're in the mutual fund industry and returns have to be there. Yeah. And suddenly it's very hard to justify buying the latest and greatest equipment or buying 
equipment that will only go out 10 times a year, but on those 10 times, it's going to make these shows look amazing. It's funny, as we are interviewing for new people, people joining our team are saying, we're tired of working for companies that we don't know the owner, or there's mm. 10 owners, or there's 20 owners, or there's a board of director we got to deal with. We want to be able to come to somebody and say, hey, like I saw this really cool thing. Can we do it? And then here we're able to do that because I just, you know, I kind of look at a project and I go, yeah, let's do this. This is going to be cool. This is going to be great on Instagram. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be great for our client. And, and so we approach it differently, but there's such passion that when you can, when you can talk to a client with passion and get them excited about their project. It's amazing how suddenly the budget that used to be $20,000 now is 35 and yeah. they managed to find an extra 15. Um, but if you become about a gear list, like, so, you know, if you go, well, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to have like a DLP three and a seat nine and a blah, blah. The client rolled their eyes and go, I got five grand for you. I don't know. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've done that before. I mean, with the 3d visualizing, yeah, and they they uh, like I was doing this wedding once, and they they wanted a big entrance and everything, and so I put something together like a three D rendering of of the light show when the the, the newlyweds walk in. Yeah, and uh, and they're looking at that; they're just freaking out. That's our light show. Well, not exactly, but if you add another like five K, that's what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know, you'll get it for sure. I mean, this it's it's an emotion. It is for sure. Yeah, and and which brings the the next question that I didn't have five minutes ago, but you kind of <laughs> you kind of pushed it on me. <laughs> like guys like you, passionate guys like you, who 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 are creative and who care about you know the uh, the experience. Uh, what are the chances that that it eventually disappears and is all bought out by, by all these huge companies, which is pretty much what seems to be happening nowadays. Yeah, well, you know, like anything else, I mean, if somebody wants to buy me out, like I can, I can give you my phone number and they can come buy me out for sure. Like it's, you know, like I, I, that's always, that's always an option. But in the meantime, it's certainly not the focus. Um, I think for us, ultimately, for me is I will always be creative. I will always be passionate and I will always find an outlet for that to ooze out of me. Like that's just the reality, right? So mm -hmm. right now the outlet is, is lighting design and it's lighting equipment and it's making sure that we provide in Western Canada, a very unique experience. It being dry rental of gear that is very unique and that you cannot get at Christie Light or you cannot get it you know, wherever, because in Western Canada, really, like, who is there when it comes down to get lights? There's Christie Light, which is in Vancouver, and we're in Calgary. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there's a few people that have Christie Light gear on their loading dock, because that seems to be the new tendency, um, is to get, like, long-term dry rental of Christie equipment for you to sub-rent. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are looking for something that's not part of the Christie Light catalog, and the Christie Light catalog is awesome. Like, there's lots of great things there. But if you're not a Martin guy, if you want to play with Very Light, if you want to play with Roby, if you want to play with, you know, JB Lights, if you want, like, if you want to play with anything else, Ayrton, like, whatever. Um, and on purpose, I'm not throwing your brands in the mix just so people don't think I've been bought out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, um, yeah, like, there's just, there's lots of different, um products that we carry that we have that makes us unique and then from a design perspective 
yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be designing my entire life. And if it's not in this environment, it'll be in something else. I'll go be an interior designer or, you know, I love farming. Like we have 80 acres of land that, that we farm heavily and we have horses and chickens and I've got bees and hmm. we do all that stuff. Maybe I'll go be passionate about all that stuff. Like it's, but I don't think that passion is something you turn on or off. I think it's something you either have or you don't have. I meet a lot of people that don't have it. Yeah. Um, it's not for everybody. Yeah, some people aren't passionate. They're just rational. They're just yeah, doing and what, you know, what needs to be done, but, you know, and putting their personal, uh, you know, their, their personal uh, ambition aside and just doing what needs to get done. Yeah, I have to say, though, like, it's super important to have all kinds of people. Like, if I look in my business, I've got people of all kinds of different sort of background. I've got some people that are super analytical and that can do plots and figure out all the, you know, cable lengths mm -hmm. and weights and all that stuff. And I don't do that anymore. And for me, like, you know, I'm the guy that's like floating up here with crazy ideas and stuff. And then I've got these specialists that are really good lighting techs that can sort out through all of that and make the technology work and stuff. And they're passionate about that. They're, you know, like they're, that's their passion is to come up with a way to trigger something remotely or yeah. how to program, like, you know, lots of programmer. It's really funny. Everybody thinks that programmers are designers and that programmers are creative. There's a lot of programmer out there that are extremely good analytical, like the way their brain works. I remember working with one of my very first programmer because I never really programmed for myself very much. I was mm -hmm. always very lucky to have programmers around me. Um, and he was saying, I like working with you because you have no idea how to program and you make my life hell, but the shows look really good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, well, he's like, for instance, this device, like six lights go on a power supply. You'll keep designing seven. He's like, you know how much of a nightmare that is? And I'm like, well, no, you never told me. He's like, yeah, that's my point. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you because your show looked good, but it's a pain in the neck to tech. And that's the thing I find is that, you know, being a little bit sort of in my bubble doing what I do, but having guys that are very passionate about making my design happen, um, it really makes for unique proposal instead of suddenly everything is the same and everything is, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. And I had a, tense and a tendency to design with the, all the technical aspects in mind. And, and, and that was my challenge. I was, uh, I'm going to try and make this look good. I'm going to try and get the effect I want using the technical logic that right. that's going to make it easy up, easy down. And, right. and you know, and, and, and a no brainer for, for the technical crew, which is sure. the part of us, uh, the part of our people that like to deal with um, equipment rather than people. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, and we kind of, sure. we're great together. I'm, I'm kind of hybrid. I do both. Yeah, for sure. And for me, like, I'm not a total flake. Like, I'm not saying I'm a total idiot and I don't know how the technology work because I do know how the technology work. And I was a technician for a pile of years. But when it came down to programming on like by design, I did not want to learn to be the best of programmer because every programmer I always work with, there's a moment in the middle of the night where they look at me and they go, are you kidding me? You want me to do that? And I'm like, yeah, that's what the song calls for. Like it I, I need to, I need it to do this, this and that. And they're like, that's going to take four hours. I'm like, okay, well then I'll see you at six in the morning and then I'll 
you know, come back in four hours and you can show it to me. And they're like, you're kidding, right? I'm like, no, I'm not. That's what the song calls for. Hmm. Um, but if I was a programmer and I was on the desk, I don't know, would I spend the four hours? You'd Maybe probably I'd probably compromise. Yeah, I'd probably compromise and take the shortcut, right? But mm -hmm. there's a guy that's being paid to do that and he loves doing that work. He's just, you know, like the, my programmers have always been like, hey, like doors is in six hours, so we don't have time to do that. Yeah. And then I'll go, okay, well, that's the intention. How do we get there? Like how, how do we not have a train wreck and how do we get from A to B and make it look close to that? And then they put their thinking cap on and then suddenly it doesn't become about a show file that they've had for 10 years that they keep triggering the 12 same effect all the time because that's the problem right yeah. after a while you just keep reloading the same show key and you keep using the same 12 tricks that you've had for a long time um and that's a problem right because after a while everything looks the same yeah yeah i i, I know that feeling i tried not to program as much as possible right. or or at least when i when i do start a show i always start with a new file i mean uh, a lot of my friends have a lot of stuff built already and they import that and then they work from that right uh, i try to avoid that and in the end i more often than not i wound up programming pretty much the same thing i was programming on the other shows so uh i understand what you mean i mean if you if you start with the creative part and then you work out the technical part you're not getting the same result right right and i and i get that like i get what you're saying again you know there's awesome programmers that and there's all kinds of situation right like most of the time we're always thrown to the wolf where you know you're asking a programmer to do miracles in two and a half hours before mm -hmm. doors and it's like how is that supposed to happen if you don't have a bag of tricks ready to go yeah. i've just been lucky to be part of projects where we had two weeks to program a show or five days to program a show and then and then you go, okay, well, let's not lean on the good old tricks and let's see. And don't get me wrong. I have my own tricks that, you know, I like using all the time, my go-to default stuff. So yeah, that always yeah. does the job, right? Um, For sure. Yeah. Luckily, technology is bringing us a lot more tools and a lot more solutions to get the impossible done in, in a yeah, timely fashion. Right. And yeah. uh, I've, I've, I'm very grateful for that. And I was uh, in my last interview. I was uh, I was talking about the the, the latest um, integration of video and lighting, and uh, with the the Avolite Synergy thing that you can actually um, run video through your lights. Yeah. In a in a cinch, like in seconds. Yeah. And and in in a, a few occasions, I've um, I've had the occasion. Well, uh, uh, on a movie set. You run a burning building through your lights. There's your effect. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, that's great. That, that's awesome stuff for sure. Like to be able to do like that emerge with video and that that kind of stuff is is really awesome for sure. Yeah. And, and we've been using that. It, it didn't used to be easy to do. Like it used to, you know, involve lots hmm. of technology to get there. Um, but you're right. It's getting those two medium, I think. I think it's one of the things more and more video and lighting are becoming one and i think people are starting to treat them a little bit more like that especially on concerts um i think in the in the corporate world there's still two very separate sort yeah. of world that don't talk very much um but i think on concert you see that merge happening more and more well the thing is with concerts it's a lot of pre-prod and then it's cut and paste whereas corporate events are a one-on-one -on -one thing 
So there's a yeah. lot of energy being put in the content, uh, but delivery is still pretty much straightforward. I mean, you can have right. a you can have a, an elaborate uh, LED screen setup or or projection setup, but you're not necessarily going to incorporate lights with that. So you're using lights to light, and you're using video to show stuff. Um, and I don't know. I guess that at some point there will be some integration because it's so simple to to synchronize nowadays. We've we've done quite a few corporate shows where you know, like there's a big opening number, and you know they spent all this money on a video on a hundred foot screen, and then I go, hey, video guys, can you just send me the signal, and then we bring it into our world, and then we use that as data points to turn the lighting rig into an extension of the video like you were talking about mm -hmm. and it's pretty amazing the impact of that because then you look like you program like for six weeks this crazy lighting show especially if you've got like a couple hundred movers yeah. on an opener and then you just you know you do spend the two three hours mapping everything but once everything is mapped and then you start running the video signal through it like suddenly like you know the hits are being hit where they need to be and you know like mm -hmm. you don't need time code you can just run it through and it's very impactful for yeah. sure. And from a design perspective, I think that's where the future is. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, we spent our days watching the Avengers and, you know, Netflix and where, you know, when you think about what it is we do for a living, like in the corporate world and in theater and in, in rock concert, like the amount of um, money that is being spent on movies it's like a factor of 20, right? Like, so mm -hmm. if you're spending a million dollars on a concert, you're spending probably a hundred million dollars on a movie. Um, but people watch movies all the time and television all the time. And that's the pacing that they're used to. So, you know, if you don't see 31 explosion in the first five minutes, like the film is boring, yeah. you know, like most of the time, especially in action. So, um, and then we have to compete with that on a corporate level or on, because those are the reference people have, right? Yeah. Like people, yeah. that's what they know. Like that's what's exciting. So, so you're constantly having to try to deal with that level of cocaine and you're just, you know, <laughs> you're not at the same level at all. Yeah. Luckily with all the new technology, video is being controlled at the lighting position, which right. means you're not asking for a video feed. You're actually uploading the clips from the lighting console and, sure. and mapping happens in a shit in in a cinch, yeah. Because it's sure. it's so easy to, to to map out nowadays. So that's the part I like. That's the part where I got the clips. Yeah. And I'm uploading them from the lighting desk yeah. to the video server, and yeah. I got control. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Again, that is a battle, though, right? It's like it's it's a control that is hard to get. Like it's not not everybody is willing to let go of that control for of sure. Course. And and not everybody is willing to spend money on content. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing for me, particularly in the corporate world, is you know, like I see hundred foot screen being sold all the time to corporate clients, and then Nothing what do we it. do with it? Two picture in picture and the logo of the mm -hmm. of the fundraiser in the middle. Yeah. And you go, why did we spend all this money on that? Like, it just seems so, you know, if you're going to spend that kind of money on a hundred foot video screen, then double your budget and spend, you know, as much as you're spending on the technology, spend on content. So at least you're using that content for, and again, this is not me talking as a lighting designer, but more as a designer period. Mm -hmm. It's just, if you're going to invest into the technology, invest in the experience, make it something. But let's not just make it a giant square box with, you know, picture in picture on each side. Like, 
what's the difference between that and two nine by 16 screen on each side of the stage? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm, I was looking at your website. There's a Uh-oh. couple of things that I noticed uh, that, that got my attention. And uh, that first, you have blog posts in there, uh, which I find really, really cool. Um, I, I like when I go to a, a website and I see there's a blog there. I like it because it's the human behind the, the the corporate, you know. Right. So you can you really see you know what's what's in there, and uh, I, I see there's a post called uh, "People Behind the Spotlight." Thank you. <laughs> Tell me about that. I mean, I read it and I'm I've I have emotions. <laughs> well, why don't you tell me more about like how it like what it meant to you? Because for me, like that. That I find that fascinating. We do generate a lot of blog posts. Um, in the past two years, we've been pretty quiet because the industry has been quiet. Well, yeah. Um, but um, we generate a lot of blog posts, and I, I always think that I put them out there and nobody reads them. So, um, so it's fascinating for me to you know hear somebody say, "Hey, I I really like it." So, so what? Why did this one draw you in? Well, it's exactly it, re- it. It reaches the mission of Backstage Cowboys. Okay. So, Backstage Cowboys' uh, slogan is exposing the rear end of show business. Right. Which means we're actually taking those people that are invisible on show day, or or you know, or during the performance, and out of context, bringing them forward. Because I think a lot of people want to know what's going on backstage. They don't want to necessarily know it during the show. They want the magic. But in between shows, a lot of people want to see what's going on backstage, you know, and and, and how's all this coming together. And and there's there's real people behind it. And what's funny is that it's maybe not as much today, but there was a time where it was sort of a taboo job. Um, When I went to school, there was no option for, you know, doing anything backstage. You know, there, I'm, I'm sure there was uh, at a certain point, but I was not exposed to that. There was an yeah. auditorium. There were people fiddling around with stuff, and that's about it. So I mean, there may be one or two geeks, you know, uh, after school playing with projectors and stuff, but that that was about it. But yeah. nobody really told us we could make a living out of this, and, and this was a serious job. Yeah. So, um, bringing all this all, all this world forward and and showing people that yeah we're we're, we're a lot of people there's a, there's a, there's the whole community and and we're all doing this for a living and we're earning a decent living. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, the stories behind it is it, just amazing. So that's why when I read your blog post, I mean it's something that I. You know, I'm pretty sure I can find something similar on on the Backstage Cowboys website. Which oh, nice, nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think for us, for sure, like we like to celebrate the unsung he- heroes for sure. Um, you know, there's lots of people that do amazing work that nobody knows are around. Um, you know, when I married my wife, she comes from a military family, and I really like, you know, like it's once in a while we'll get to sit down and you hear. You hear these stories, um, you know, about being in Afghanistan or, mm-hmm. you know, doing this or doing that or and um, and it's all these things that us mortals have no idea what 
you know, like when my father-in-law before he passed away would tell me stories, like he built all the runways up north, like so for NORAD and all that. So he mm. was building ice runways and you hear the stories of, you know, landing C-130s on tin sheets of ice and yeah. and the different things that they did up there. And, and it just, it blows your mind. So, and it's amazing, like so many Canadians would love to know these stories, but they never will because it's, you know, it's all stuff that's done behind closed doors. So for me, like that was an opportunity, this blog to just kind of share a little bit of that and let people know that there's there's great people behind there. And if you just scratch a little bit, like, and you ask the right way, you might get to know a little bit more about that side of life. So, yeah, well, I thank you very much for, for publishing that. And, uh, I, I, I actually, I'm going to throw out an invitation to people go see orangefrogproductions.ca. Just, just poke around the site. I mean, <laughs> it's worth it. Really. It's really we, cool. Uh, we're we're uh, we're in the process right now of redesigning the site because it's a little old and it's a little bit of a patchwork right now. We we played in there during the pandemic trying to figure out what we wanted the website to look like. So we um, yeah we're we're going to be coming up hopefully in the next like four or five months. It takes a while to just kind of put your thought together, especially mm. you know with the rental business being the way it is and the design business being the way it is. Like I think you know defining those identity, but it's great for me to know that people are reading the blogs, then I will get back and write some more. Um, it's funny, I have one that I've been working on, and it's kind of sitting in the gate. And I was debating if I should publish it or not, because I think it would upset a lot of people. Um, but then again, I'm French, and I'm me. So I upset people. It's what I do. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I wrote this article about, you know, post pandemic, designers will have to be somewhat smart about how they approach shows, because pre-pandemic, I think we were in a run where it was all about the latest and greatest. So fixtures were coming out every two weeks. Like there's every LDI, there's more and more, you know, new, different, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's all the same, right? Like it's a fixture that can either do a gobo or a wash that is projecting mm -hmm. an image or a texture or a color. And I think successful designers in a post-pandemic world I personally think will be people that will be able to use legacy equipment to make their show look good. Because to be honest, if you can go and get 20 moving lights to do your show in my book, I will take 20 mover li moving lights over five of the latest and greatest lights out there. So, but a lot of people, because a lot of programmers and a lot of designers are gear gearhead. Yeah. Um, all they want is the latest toy to play with. But for me, I want quantity. Like, give me a hundred of something. Like, you can give me a hundred Martin Mania if you want. Like, I'll do something with that because I got a hundred and I can do something with a hundred. Yeah. But, you know, give me, you know, a few years ago, everybody wanted Vipers. That was the thing. Like, everybody was like, oh, give me Vipers, Vipers, Vipers. Well, you know, if I have a choice of having six Viper on a show or having 24 VL2500, which are old beat up fixtures, but still spit out color and still have, you know, gobos and great optics. And well, then why would I not use 24 lights? And that was just my approach. And I think that's been the key of our success from a design perspective is just not being gearhead, not being focused on the gear, but being focused on the image. Well, I kind of had that mentality before. I often said, you know, shops were always have that the the older gear sitting at the back of the shop that nobody wants yeah and then you got the newer stuff that goes out all the time 
and always said, give me the back of the shop yeah, and put some talent behind the board. Yeah. And we have a show. Yeah, 100%. And a producer once told me moving lights are for people who don't have imagination. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think that's... Well, he was an old guy. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? There is a real divide, though. Like, if you think about anybody who was in the lighting business pre-1995, like, those are Parkan and Dimmer guys. Yeah. And, you know, and I was there at that time. And I have to say, to adjust from being a Parkan and Dimmer guy to becoming, like, I mean, now lighting is about networking, is about moving lights, it's mm -hmm. about data merging, it's about, you know, like, all this stuff. Um, you almost have to go do a year of networking schooling these days to know, like, you know, how do I configure my switches and yeah. how can I run redundant snakes and all those things, which, which years ago we didn't have. I mean, you know, like I was there when AMX was around and, you know, mm -hmm. AMX 192 and, and then DMX came out. It was revolution and we had to like adapt to that and change from analog cables that were this big. And, you know, like I, I think my first desk, and it's funny, I just sold it at auction like three weeks ago. My first desk was an Avolite uh, Roller Q uh -huh. 96 or something. Yeah. Like I, um, and you Classic. know, like I used to love that desk. Like it was six yeah. feet long, it was mm -hmm. buttons everywhere. You looked like a rock star. It was awesome. Um, but you know, like you, you ran analog, like 96 pin connectors yeah, to the yeah, back and yeah. three of them plug in there and you know little pin patch in the drawer and now it's all like now it's complicated it's computers mm -hmm. and you know like your backup is actually like an on pc version and you've got like you know switches merging data and all that stuff mm -hmm. and and distributing like you've got artnet and acn and like you've got all these things where you know when i'm talking the talk but i don't walk the walk like i've got people these days that can connect all this stuff because yeah, i yeah. just I'm obsolete now. Like now I'm focusing mm. more on design and less on the integration because I just, I can't, I can't do it all. And it's so complex now. Um, but yeah, I think in the right hands with the right people, I don't even know what we were talking about, but in the, <laughs> in the right hands with the, the right people, I think, I think moving lights and technology can be absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And but really but we're about the same age, right? Yeah, so, I would think so. Yeah, me. Okay, yeah, moving lights and all those latest effects and all that. Really cool. I agree. I agree. I love it myself. Um, if I just say like six racks of ACLs, yeah, does that excite you? It well, excites of course. me. <laughs> of course it does. I miss For it. Sure. <laughs> well, it, there's there's no doubt. And that's the thing, right? I think that's the gift that we have is that um, you know, guys like you and I, like we have lived through all those different eras. Mm -hmm. I would hate to be somebody these days that comes out of a school and that doesn't like I find it's it's a conversation I have with school teachers all the time and with with people that are joining our industry as well is when I was a kid, mentorship was a huge thing. So for me, mm -hmm. I, one of the first concerts I saw was Rush. And I remember researching who DLD was. And then I figured out it was Howard Hungerlighter. And I was like, I need to work for that guy. I need to be around that guy. I want to, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I was blown away by what he did. And within three years, I managed to become a tech on, like for his laser company. He used to have a company called Laser Light Effects and yeah. um, went to work for does. Howard. Does he still have it? Well, yeah. he, I know he's PDI now and we still talk once in a while. Um, but yeah, like Howard, and it was his birthday not that long ago. Happy birthday, Howard. Um, 
but um but you know like i was like this guy is amazing and just being around him and watching him be so musical and you know like just there was something about being able to learn from him so guys like you and i that have lived the parkan era and i've lived the moving light era and the video era and all that stuff hopefully we're smart enough to take all these bits put them together and then create very unique looking shows right mm -hmm. which if all you've ever known is you know like I don't know, uh, like LED fixtures. Like, it's funny, everybody, like LED fixtures everywhere. Well, to me, the quality of light is not there. Like, I still use incandescent Leco, and yes, they draw more power, and yes, they're a pain in the neck, but the rooms look amazing. Like, you can get beautiful oranges out of them. You get this beautiful iridation when you throw Gobo in and you throw it out of focus. And like, there's all this stuff you could do where the quality of light is awesome. And then you take, you know, like I, we sell lights just, I mean, we're, we're dealer obviously for lots of companies and we get called into theaters and then shootouts happen all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and it drives me insane. You got a bunch of people with meters and flat field and all that stuff. So unless you're shooting something that is super precise, like an election night where it's for television and it's got to be boring and flat and lit yeah. the same way everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get why you might want that. If you're in a theater and you're out there with like a meter and all this stuff, first of all, what's the difference between 21,000 lumen and 19,000 lumen? Can you tell me that people can actually see that in real life, <laughs> especially if you don't have the other light right next to it, right? Yeah. So that drives me nuts. And then looking about flatness of field, I want a field that is not flat because that to me is texture. Like when you walk outside, the lighting is not it's not even everywhere. It's not mm -hmm. lit perfectly everywhere. And that's what we're trying to duplicate all the time. So why are we trying to have the brightest fixture in the wall in the world? Because I don't get that this fight for the brightest fixture, unless you are in hundred foot ceilings all the time, mm -hmm. but we've forgotten what an intensity wheel is. Like we don't use that anymore. It's everything is at full in bright blue, like everywhere all the time, especially in corporate. And it's like, there's something about intensity, guys. Like you look at photos and the LEDs turn white everywhere because they're so bright that all the sensors in the camera mm. get overexposed. Like take a minute to dial the intensity down until the cameras look right. Like if that's what we're trying to do. So you can tell I get very passionate about this, but <laughs> it just drives me crazy how, you know, like everything is at full, everything's the brightest, everything has to be flat and boring. Yeah. Well, no, life's about texture, light's about movement, light is about all of those things. And that's what our shows should look like. So people want to be inside. Yeah, it's the experience. It's a human it is thing. The experience. Yeah, it is a human yeah. thing for sure. Yeah. Speaking Ooh, of lights, there's another thing I saw on your site. And I, I, I was very eager to get to this part because I, I want to hear about this. You have UV light to fight against uh, COVID. Yes. Okay, so because I've heard of this, I've seen some products. Uh, what little I know about UV light that other than my, my water filter I had at my other house, um, yeah. I you know, UV light technically will kill you if, you, <laughs> if you're exposed to it. <laughs> so that's not true, um, okay. but, but, uh, but it's half true. So um, 
and I've got a, a webinar I do with client that is about 50 minutes long. So if ever one day you want to dive more into that, more than happy to do that with you. But, mm -hmm. um, but basically, uh, what we're selling is a product from Luxabelle in, in Europe. Um, they developed basically during the pandemic, they saw an opportunity to develop, to use some of the technology that already exists to fight COVID. Um, and in the early days, uh, you know, there was a lot of data. So I spent lots of calls with, you know, engineers and scientists and that kind of stuff, explaining the technology and explaining how that all works. And it's an amazing technology and it's quite safe and it works super well. Um, the problem is that um, the government of Canada, as much as we've asked a million times to approve that for distribution in Canada, um, they never... They, they always said, we're too busy right now. We don't mm. have time to look at it. Um, but the reality is it's already implemented in buildings, in water supplies, all over the place. So, you know, the first water treatment plant to use UV light as a way to sanitize water was established in the early 1900 in Paris, 1907, I think. Mm. Um, so UV lights have been around for a long time during the um, epidemic of... Um, of uh, um, uh, polio in the you know 30s 40s 50s um, UV lights were set up in front of the vent in schools so that as the air was being blown into the the rooms um, it would actually um, like sterilize. Uh, sterilize and break mm -hmm. down the viruses so so basically to make a long story short uh, we saw an opportunity for us to use our expertise in lighting um, to actually like try to find a solution that could work for um, for COVID. So uh, what we did is we like the lights, the, the light tube themselves are made by Philips and they're rated and they're at a very precise nanometer frequency. I think 265.3 um, or 253.5. I never remember. I always have to look at my notes and you took me by surprise. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a frequency um that is bang on to uh, that is the right it is the it is the brightest uvc frequency to be able to sanitize viruses and spores and that kind of stuff and what uv does is it basically breaks down the bond between um like it breaks down the bond inside of the rna or the dna so when you're saying it can kill human, it can cause cancer in human um, because that's what it does to your cells. Like when your cells get exposed, it's just like watching a welding machine, how it can damage your eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, a welding machine will generate UVC. Um, in on Earth, there is no UVC. The ozone layer prevents it all from coming through. So we don't get exposed to it down here. Mm -hmm. So the only way to get exposed to it is to generate it artificially. Um, there is UVA and UVB, but no UVC. So, and UVA and UVB do have a little bit of sanitizing power, but maybe 5% of what UVC can do. And now people are working on far UVC, which is a UV that could be on all the time, even when you're in the space. Hmm. Um, and that it's a lower, um, it's again, a lower uh, frequency. So a lower nanometer and that frequency, like they're talking about being able to put that into airports and stuff where it's on 24 hours a day. The only problem is that because it is possible to be exposed to it all the time, it is not nearly as effective um, to disinfect space. But right now, our office yesterday, like every single room got disinfected with our UVC sanitizing unit. And we do have an air purifier in my office right now that runs 24 hours a day as well. And 
Um, and we just thought the technology was amazing. Um, there was scientists from the Boston University that came up with the exact amount of exposure. So um, the amount of UV that needs to be exposed per square millimeter uh, to be able to destroy the virus. Um, so we know exactly what it takes to destroy all the different uh, strain of, um, of COVID-19. And um, yeah, we just thought it was a fascinating product. We sold quite a fair bit of it, like a lot of it to individuals and um, we had these little mini bar fridge that you could put microphones or uh, VR glasses and stuff in there to disinfect them and masks and all that. So mm -hmm. we sold a fair amount of those as well. Oh. Um, yeah. But when it was time to do big, like, you know, we were talking to the Stampede, we were talking to a few of the large institutional buyers around here, um, and they needed to see something from the government saying like, hey, yeah. you know. And the government never got around to generating that. And that's with us sending dozens of email asking for it. I even met with MPs and MLA trying to put pressure because uh, the data is there. The technology worked. There is proof to it. You can actually do a swab on the wall. Like you can see like the bacterial load or the virus load prior to and after. Like you look under a microscope, you can see it. Hmm. Um, there's ways to quantify it, which... These days, everybody is using hand sanitizing lotion. Yeah. But the secret that nobody talks about is that your hand has to be exposed to that alcohol for a minute if you want it to be effective. Mm. So people squirts it in their car, they do this, and then they're done. But 10 seconds is not enough to kill anything. So, you know, you can use very harsh chemical on all your surface all the time, but you're not actually like sanitizing to the same level UV can do without any harsh chemical, without any of the smells and all that stuff. So um, so for us, we thought it was a super exciting new technology that could revolutionize the world. Unfortunately, the government being what it was, they just, they weren't buying in. And uh, I, I did some talk on the radio. I was on talk radio, like here locally and got interviewed by morning show hosts, like trying to get a little bit more information about that. and. People were really excited. There was a good momentum, but we never got any buy-in. So, hmm. yeah, I guess I heard of uh, I heard of it at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was wondering, you know, what's going on with this. But uh, yeah, I do understand that uh, you know the whole government machine approving products is extremely slow and probably understaffed. Yeah, but like it, it was funny. I think I think this technology scares people a little bit because of hmm. what you said at the beginning, which is you know, like it kills people. And um, the products we're selling, like they have, you know, motion sensors. So if you walk in the room, they shut down right away. They have audible alarm that um, just beep in the background to let you know that the, the, the thing is working before you walk in the room. It's still scary, uh, the motion... though, because if there's well, a malfunction there, you're walking into a death trap. Uh, you're not like, cause you could be exposed to a fair amount of it, like without any consequences. Yeah. And, yeah. and the reality is UVC can be blocked by a t-shirt. So you don't need any protective gear. So if you're wearing glasses, like just even normal glasses, like you're wearing right now, and you're wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, like UVC will only touch where it can see your skin. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it's not any different than watching a welder. The exposure problem is if you get exposed to it in high dose for long periods of time. So, um, which, you know, if you walked in a room and that sensor didn't work and the machine was still working, uh, by the time you'd go and disconnected, you'd be exposed to it for less than a minute and it would not affect you in a way that would change your life. So mm -hmm. it might give you a little bit of a skin burn, possibly, maybe like a sunburn, possibly if you were there, but not any different than if you're welding. Because when you're welding, you are actually generating UVC and people weld with their shirts you know, like yeah. short sleeves shirts in the summer and, you know, and they don't, 
it's not a problem so well good to know yeah so there you go things you know <laughs> so um we well it's been a while i guess it's been yeah, yeah we're over like, an hour we're now over an hour <laughs> that's good listen in closing uh First of all, I see uh last thing I, I noticed on your site is that you're always on the lookout for uh for people to work with you. So we what are. are your immediate needs now? If somebody you know, if somebody is around and, and has the qualifications, uh, what what exactly do you need and how, how do we reach you? So basically uh if you go on our website, that's a good way to reach us. Our phone number as well is there, and mm -hmm. my email is Pierre at orangefrogproductions.ca. And you can reach me there as well. Uh, we are looking for everything, programmers to dimmer tech to technicians. Uh, like I said, there is a real shortage of good lighting people in Alberta. Um, I mean, there is people here, but they're busy and there's more work than, than can be handled. Um, so I think if somebody wants to come and explore Western Canada and wants to see a little bit of a different, you know, part of the country, um, there's opportunity to come and work here. There's lots of freelance work. Um, and there is some full-time opportunity as well. So for us, again, if uh, I'm very much one of those guys that believe in if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. So um, if I find somebody very unique that I think would be a great fit for us, um, I would certainly invest in that because I think it's good for our company and it's good to have people that are talented here. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're a small mom and pop shop and we really... We, we like the way we are run in the sense that we're this small group and we're a collective in lots of ways. You're not working for, you know, the solo tech, the Christie lights of the world where you're, you know, I would assume one person part of the machine. I mean, I used to work yeah. for both of those companies in my younger days. Um, here you get, you get to have a chance to have a voice and you get to come and sit with the owner, come and sit across from me and go, Hey, I saw this cool thing. We should buy it boss. And then maybe it happens. And, you know, people get to have a, a voice on all the design and we work as a collective, not just in a vacuum. And so if you want to be part of something different and you want to be, you know, like it's not about ego and it's not about if you're a rock star and it's all about you, then we're not the right place for you. Um, but if you like being part of a team and you like being part of something and and uh, you want to be part of an experience and, and you want to be part of a company that has a really great reputation and, you know, that that really loves integrity and doing business where it makes a difference and we you know you are with like-minded people then come here for sure like we we've got room for you all right so the word is out the word is out thank Orange you so Frog much productions.ca that's it <laughs> and thank you so much for having me on your podcast today like it's taken way too long for us to connect i'm glad we finally did that oh yeah definitely and uh i intend to uh to be in your area for uh the next uh citt thing uh, going on there's a Ron yeah, thing, I believe. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a big one. We're hoping to have a boot too again this year. So we're going to be uh, there for the uh, backstage expo if they do one mm -hmm. again. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So we're excited about that. It's going to be great to see the design from all around the world too. Like, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I can't wait to. to just go out and meet people I mean, it's been yeah. so long <laughs> yeah for sure no i could not agree more so yeah well, right. i look forward maybe we can go for lunch or something absolutely that'd absolutely. be great that cool. is noted <laughs> <laughs> Pierre, awesome. thank you so much ben, merci beaucoup, Claude. Fait plaisir. Ça fait plaisir. <laughs> the backstage cowboys podcast is brought to you by avl media group and avolites who make the best lighting consoles in the world 
If you live in Canada, you now have access to the Avalites Academy online learning platform. The cost is $229, and that includes an editor AvoKey delivered directly to your door. Head on over to BackstageCowboys.com and click on the Avalites Academy logo to get all the details.